podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and as usual, we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, more love. We have an incredible, incredible guest today. Her name is Kathy McDaniel, MK McDaniel. She wrote the book, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. Incredible author, incredible book. We're going to talk to her in just a second. But first, before we talk to her about her amazing life story, I need you to do something for me. Go to Instagram. Follow me there, at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That's the Instagram page. Please go there. Follow us. It's how we spread the word more, all these great guests, their stories. It's how we attract more people. We just did an episode on the law of attraction, how we attract more people. So Spotify, we're on Spotify. Follow us there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you listen. Go there, connect with us, get this information. You'll get the notifications when the episodes drop. You'll really appreciate it. And lastly, the most important thing, please, please, please tell a friend, tell a friend that you know that loves these type of podcasts. These conversations, they're so interesting. They're so powerful. You know they want to hear them. Your friends, tell them about it. Midnightonearth.com. All right, well, we're about to talk to Kathy McDaniel, and here's her bio. First-time author, M.K. McDaniel, makes her earthly home in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. The Puget Sound Mountains, bays, flora, and fauna offer respite, peace, and a glimpse of the heaven she will one day return to. M.K.'s haunting 1999-2000 dark, near-death experience and resulting emotional trauma released its hold on her psyche when she answered the call and a gnawing need from within to share her message in book form. Thanks to the Seattle IANDS group, MK gradually accepted her mission to face her NDE and ultimately embrace it as the pre-planned experience that she chose. MK continues to attend IANDS meetings, annual conferences to connect with others, who look forward to their heavenly home with joy. Her gentle message of love and kindness in our daily lives includes listening to strangers on airplanes and looking deeply into the eyes of suffering souls. It's healing. It's, it's what you do is healing. Hello, Kathy. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Jake, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I feel so blessed and grateful to have you on this podcast. I read your book and absolutely loved it. And after I read it, I was Thank couldn't you. believe I was going to be talking to you the next day. After I finished it, I was, I was like, all right, I, the, uh, wow, my head was brimming with questions. There's so much going on, but we're going to talk about your dark near death experience. We're going to talk about the various phenomena that is manifest in your life, spiritual and metaphysical, and other things, because you have a life story that's absolutely captivating. 
Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit about your early life. And so when did you start to develop a spiritual perspective? Because you did get raised Catholic, if I remember correctly. So do you feel like you were a pretty spiritually activated person early on? I do. My dad had a very um, miraculous, uh, he was saved during World War II and he had been an atheist. Uh, his plane crashed and landed upside down and he told God if he could just get him out of that mess, he'd make sure his family became Catholic and it was a miracle. Some uh, Marines came out and lifted the plane and got him to safety. So yeah, I'm a cradle Catholic and I was always very happy with that. We always went to mass and and I loved the uh, pomp and circumstance and, and the music and, and, and the stories about Jesus. Uh, I think from a very early age, I was very aware of my guardian angel all the time. And uh, that, that helped me whenever I was in a fearful situation, which wasn't often. And then I, I would play games with Jesus. I mean, he was just my buddy. I, I uh, don't remember not you know, believing that. Uh, of course, uh, in the probably junior high, I was going to be a nun. I thought, oh, my gosh, to be married to Jesus, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I just, you know, just wear the ring and the, and the garb and just be this eternal bride of Christ. And um, that that went really well till, you know, high school and boys, you know, that. <laughs> well, I want to back you up like, a little bit because I want to talk about that kind of early relationship with this. Jesus persona, this energy, Jesus, it may as well be the very real Jesus that connected with you as a child. Tell me some of those experiences. You say it was a part of you growing up and you don't remember how it was ever apart from you. So was it like a, a feeling or how would you describe it? I was just a knowing. I, he was like, you know, people talk about your invisible friend. I think a lot of children really do see spirit when they're younger and, and just accept it as because it feels as real as a relationship with someone else. I, I do remember uh, I, I was, we moved around a lot. Dad was in the Navy. So I was always a new kid. Every place we went, I had to make friends again. And that's really tough. Um, and one time I was being bullied. Uh, I was probably like in fourth grade, maybe. And uh, they were picking on me and uh, making fun of my accent. No matter where I went, I just came from someplace that had a different accent. So I just remember saying, well, nobody will play with me. So I just pretended me and Jesus were playing tag on the, on the playground. You know, I, I, I'd yell, you're it and turn off and run another direction. And uh, the kids pretty much left me alone after that. <laughs> well, in the book, you did say that sometimes Jesus would talk back, which I thought was so interesting. And you heard yeah, a voice. Yeah, voice. Yeah, the voice, I think is, I, I've always heard the voice. I think most people do. They just don't know what to call it. I think it's, we call it our conscience, but I always thought it was my guardian angel or it was sometimes Jesus. So you equate that voice that you heard early on with Jesus and, and what you're describing as your guardian angel to what you describe later in the book. And we'll get to that for sure as that voice that you're talking about the conscious. So you're saying that's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been doing some reading lately and it, there's a person that's put out a book that kind of just talks about the voice and, and uh, the person indicated that there was a soft voice and a loud voice. 
And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because a lot of the times as a child or, or when I'm talking to my angel or when you got your conscience, you hear something go, ah, 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 you really shouldn't, whatever it is going to be. You eat that second piece of pie or, or be mean to your sister, whatever. There's this, this kind of consciousness about that, which is really your inner you that's still in heaven, um, that's looking down on that projection, that piece of yourself that is acting on earth. I don't know, it got really trippy. I, I just really enjoyed it uh, thinking about that. But yeah, the other loud voice is usually what I equate with God or a really strong angel. And that's when you're usually in going to be hit by a car or something major is going to happen. And, and it comes out really loud and very succinct. One time I was parked in traffic and, and uh, all of a sudden I heard this really loud voice say, turn to the right. And um, you don't think when somebody shouts at you like that, well, I, I moved up about four feet and turned the car way to the right. Why? I don't know until I looked in the rear view mirror and here comes this semi barreling down. He'd lost its brakes and came right up. I'm looking in the rear view mirrors as things getting closer and closer. And just before he, he hit me dead on, the traffic was stopped at a four-way stop when this was going on. He veered off to the, to the left just enough to miss my car and hit another car, pushed it into the middle of the, and then all these cars started crashing. And I just sat there perfectly fine. But if I'd not heard that voice and acted on it, I wouldn't be here. Oh my God. So that's, that's powerful. That's super powerful. So those two voices, I can totally relate to what you're talking about because you do hear that kind of conscious voice when you know you're doing something right from wrong energetically, but then there's that deeper, bigger voice when emergency situations come into play. I did notice in your book, angels were a huge theme it, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, angels popped up all over the place, which I thought was so amazing. I'm firm believer in angels. It seems very clear that there are those intermediary beings in a higher dimension. Everywhere. Yeah, all Everywhere. over the place. And they're, yeah. they're guiding us. And some people would say that we're assigned an angel at birth, like you said, a guardian angel. I had a cool thing happen at one of the IONS meetings. They had a lady come who could see angels. She could see your guardian angel. So the place was packed. And, and people, she would walk up and she'd say, uh, you know, uh, you know, to me, she said, uh, um, boy, you're a big guy, aren't you? And I said, huh? Cause I'm like five, four and she wasn't any bigger than me. And she said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. And I says, him who? And she says, you're angel. And I says, well, what's his name? And she said, tell me your name. And, uh, she says, I can't pronounce that. Give, say it again. And I thought, what? And she says, yeah. He says, she, he says, oh, I'm just going to call you Andar. I can't say that long name. This is a guy, she says, that was a, a very, very close friend of yours in previous life. And he wanted to be with you in this lifetime. So he's just hanging out with you. And it was like so weird to think somebody that I knew in a previous life has been with me since I was born and just just tagging along. She, she said, he's a big guy. So that made me feel really, really good. Cause I thought I've, I've always had that feeling that I've had a really big Rambo angel. Is that one of the first times that you grappled with the concept of potentially being reincarnated? Because that would imply yeah. that you had oh, a previous yeah. life with friends. Was that one of the first times? Oh 
yeah, because I was always taught that was a no-no. That didn't Catholic. happen. I'm Catholic. You get one soul, you get one chance, and you go home, and that's it. That's all. And I always thought that was a waste because it's like recycling. How many <laughs> gazillion people are there in heaven? Is there gonna they're gonna run out of room? You know, so maybe they just recycle. You know, and, and I say the just, exact same thing. I often say, <laughs> really? "What you don't think God recycles?" That's like one of the yeah. things I tell my kids constantly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Wow. So that, okay. So you have that experience. you have this giant guardian angel previous life. You've had so many spiritual experiences. And I remember when I read your book that what I noticed is that the first time that you had any experience with a near death experience, which is kind of the crux of your book is with your uncle Kenny. And he had a near death experience. It was hysterical. I, uh, yeah, he, he was only four years older than me and, uh, he was about 53 when he got really ill. He had been a smoker and he was an alcoholic and he was the sweetest guy in the world. And we didn't get to see much of him. He went in the, the Marines and then whatever, but I, I loved him. He was, he was like one of my only relatives. So, uh, when he got really sick near the end of his life, um, they had put him in a, in a hospital, convalescent hospital and said, you're not going home. You know, you're 53, you smoke too much, you drank too much. And, and he was, you know, he still kept good spirits about the whole thing. But, um, my parents had been going to see him, uh, you know, occasionally while he was there. And one time they got this phone call that said, uh, oh my God, you better get here quick. He's not going to last too much longer. He's in, in danger. So they got in the car and drove over there. And when they did, they came into his room and, oh, shoot, he had a sheet pulled over his head and he was gone. And my mom started crying. My dad felt terrible. They sat down on each side of him and just you know, started to pray. And all of a sudden he sat straight up in bed, the sheet fell off and he said, what the hell's going on here? And my father grabbed his heart. My mother screamed and bolted to the doorway. And, and he's looking around like what happened? <laughs> then the nurse comes in and says, what's all this ruckus? And then she says, what are you doing? And he's, and she says, your doctor, I'm going to tell your doctor what's going on here. And Turns out he had gone. He had slipped over to the other side. And uh, he was an atheist. He'd never had any formal education on uh, Jesus or anybody. But uh, later when I asked him about it, because he was very, very upset about the whole thing, he says that he had seen Jesus. And I said, well, what? He, because he didn't even really know Jesus. He's, yeah, he's a really nice guy. And um uh, just really personable. I enjoy talking <laughs> with him. And, uh, but then, then I saw my dead parents, you know, I knew they were dead and I thought, wait a minute, because most of the time you don't know you're dead. You just right. still feel like you're still you. So he said, well, there was my, my parents and they said, come on, come on with me. And he says, no, I got this funny feeling, you know, they're dead. I shouldn't go. And, and, uh, he said, then they, they turned into your parents who I know are alive and they're my, you know, my family and said, come on, come on with me. And he, he says, I turned to Jesus to ask what he thought and he was gone and they scared me. And then all of a sudden I've got this sheet on my face and I'm sitting up in bed and I don't know what to make of it. Wow. So it, it was, it was really cool. My, my parents just didn't want to talk about it, but I was 
fascinated. And uh, so I, I started seeing him every, every Sunday I'd drive over and see him and we, I'd bring him tacos and popcorn and stuff. He couldn't get there. And, and we talk and play dominoes and stuff. It was cool. And then uh, we got to talking about it. He loved the, uh, the, the TV show uh, touched by an angel. He says, you know, whoever did that program has been where I went because that the aura that that light they put around him was just like the, the the light that was around Jesus's head. He says, and he couldn't wait to get back. He couldn't wait to get back, but he had things to do. And it turned out um, he had a girlfriend in high school and there was a, you know, there was a kind of a thing Trist. that happened there. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were dating. They were in love. They were going to get married. And then he went in the um, Marines and, they lost touch. And, and so by the time, uh, she, well, he got back, I saw her at church. I hadn't seen her in 40 years or something. And she says, how's, how's your uncle? You know? And I says, well, that's really funny. You should ask. Cause he's over in a convalescent hospital over such and such. Well, she went to see him. She was married, had some kids and, uh, she just went over there and they had broken up, uh, she didn't know she was pregnant and uh, he left and never came back. <clears throat> so she married somebody else and she had the chance then to tell him about that and see pictures of her. They didn't want to interrupt her life uh, by bringing him in since he was dying anyway. But there was this wonderful thing that happened there. Plus he got he baptized. He, he uh, wanted you know, to more, learn more about Jesus. So he was only there for maybe a year. And then, uh, and he passed. And wow. uh, this, then it's time he stayed on the other side. That's, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely <laughs> astounding because he got to take care of some of his unfinished work in that year yeah. time. But yeah. I think it's so interesting that you had a similar experience and had that early on in your life planted in your consciousness. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then I had a, uh, a, a boss that I was working for, uh, and she got hit by a car and we were the same age. We were probably in our forties at the time. And, uh, she was not religious at all, but she came back a changed woman. She said that, uh, when she, she didn't know what happened, but all of a sudden she found herself floating above her body and saw it down below and saw her husband there trying to, to help her. Um, she'd been hit by this car and her head was all bleeding and, but she got to heaven and, and she said that she saw her grandmother who, who raised her and was like her mother. And, and, oh, she was so glad to see her and she wanted to be with her. But her grandmother said, I don't know, you know, you might have something left to do. And she said at that time, she looked at her shoulder and it was like a, a string or a, a line that was tying her down to her body. And she knew that if she would just move her shoulder a little bit, it would shake loose and she could stay with her grandma. But she said, Oh, if I leave now, she says, my husband needs me. And, and, um, she had recently become a Christian and she said, they'll, my mother will say, yeah, that's what you get for becoming a Christian. So she says, I had to go back. And so these were two stories that I heard in a very short period of time. I think it was kind of, I don't know, getting me prepared maybe for what was going to happen to me, but that's what I was um, noticing in the book. It seemed that that was kind of the deal because of when it happened in your mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's uh, people, a lot of people have experienced these things, but nobody wants to listen to them. It's kind of like saying you got abducted by aliens or something. They go, yeah, right. Um, or in, a, in a, when you're, you're in a, in a situation in a hospital, say it was, oh, it's the drugs or, um, you know, it was a dream. It was, and it's none of those things. Right. Uh, maybe sometimes it can be, but it's just too lucid. And, and the way you know is later on um, dreams go away. I don't care what kind of a dream you have. Uh, you'll forget it. And, uh, uh, but this situation is you're experiencing this with your, your soul, not with your brain. And it's, it's etched in there. I mean, it doesn't go away. It, my experience was 21 years ago and it's, I, at night, it's hard not to relive it. Um, it's still so fresh. Yeah. It's a different type of memory. Like you said, it's etched in your soul. It seems like you processed it on a spiritual and maybe even physical level as a real time experience and stored it appropriately or even more so because it was so powerful. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I, I want to talk about your spirituality a little bit more because you had a wonderful early life and full of various experiences, but really it didn't seem like the spiritual aspect started to pick up outside of your Catholic life until you were with Barry, your, uh, your husband, Barry, and you were part of a religious group. Is that correct? Is that really where things started stepping up for you? No, well, stepping up. Yeah. I was a Catholic kind of a flatline, not flatline that appears death, but uh, yeah, it was just a, my every it was as, as much of me as being part Irish and part German and part English and an American and in a family that was just who I was. I was a Catholic. So when I had the opportunity to um, by meeting this person, Barry, I call him in the book, um, he had this kind of secret thing about him. He had to go to these mysterious meetings on Thursday nights or whatever. And uh, he didn't drink and he didn't swear and he didn't. And I thought he was very unusual for somebody in their forties. You know, he was divorced and had two kids, but eventually, and I was having a little bit of a drinking problem back then and that runs rampant in my, my family and being single with two kids and uh, trying to work. And it was, it was really a tough go. Um, but anyway, uh, I got in, interested in it and, um, learned more about it and became a member. And uh, actually I, I met up with some of these people still in the same group uh, here in Seattle, not too long ago. Wow. Um, it was interesting to know that there's still thousands and thousands and thousands of these people that follow um, this practice. It's a, it's a kind of a spiritual practice um, started in by a fellow in Indonesia. Did they give it a name? Um, because I didn't notice a name in the yeah, book. Yeah, so I hate I hate to do that because it's kind of a private group. Oh, I understand. And, and you, you kind of have to be referred or called to come to it. So I don't want to um, cheapen it at all. Sure, no, uh, no, I totally understand. That. You know, and so no, it was very wonderful. It was a way to pray. Um, by being quiet, it kind of starts with a meditation. And then, then there's this um, freedom that you give yourself to just hear God and 
dance with God and sing with God. And it's really, really was wonderful. It, uh, it changed my life. It gave me a sense of spirituality of God, not just religion. Right. Because it seemed like the rituals and the, the sound, the singing were almost uh, hypnotic in a way, as you described it. It was heavenly. I had one one experience where I, I was I had been chiding God. He and I talked just like we're friends. But I, you know, I said <laughs> I was having, <laughs> you know, it is because we're all part of God. We're just we are all God's children. But <laughs> one time I was I was saying, you know, in my my prayer, I thought um, I don't know about heaven. It sounds kind of boring, you know. Uh, I'm I I don't like harp music. Uh, you can just do so much singing. I, I just was saying, you know, there's got to be more to it than that. Uh, and, um, you know, thinking of Jesus just sitting on a throne and I thought, oh Lord. So I was kind of asking him that question and, and I know God's not a him, but so when this particular night, I mean, I was just filled with this rush of joy and, uh, happiness and, Oh, I was just, I was frozen, just enjoying this feeling of being with God. I just felt one with God and, and, and they had, they had to come make me sit down. I mean, I wanted to stay there. I did not want to come back. And that was just God kind of giving me a preview, I guess, of, uh, you'll like it, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's interesting how there was that foreshadowing in your life. As you look back, I think with all the events in everyone's life, you can look back and see that foreshadowing and realize that your life is part of some divine plan. There's no other way that that could be possible. Well, and that's what I really learned that changed my life is that we plan our lives and, uh, God's will. Somebody asked me about this the other day. Well, you don't think that God acts of God, like God doesn't get mad at people and cause a storm or an earthquake. And I thought about it and I said, no, he doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. We plan our lives and we have free will. And so he turns us loose, gets out of our way. And it's a, we get to come down here and learn lessons by what we've planned. And um, God's always there, but it, it really took the, the feeling of being a victim away from me because right. all my life I had a quite a few crappy things happen to me and as everybody does. And I would say, God, I'm praying, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Why do you keep doing this to me? And now I don't have that feeling at all. I have planned everything in my life and then I get to go back to heaven when I'm through. And then we get this life review, which is not judgmental and it's not done by God. We get to see our lives and how we have affected other people with our actions and interactions. And then we get to see it flipped around and get to feel how that person felt knowing me in a situation or uh, whatever. So I get to say, wow, I could have done a little better with that. Or, ooh, I knocked it out of the park with this one. And just judge, not judge myself, but just kind of take a test and you get to do all the the fixing of the answers afterwards and say, well, you know, I got eight out of 10. That's not bad. And that's kind of how it is. Yeah. It's, it seems that way. And that's totally in sync with multiple cultures and philosophy, spiritual teachings around the world. The, the most authentic spiritual teachings all align with what you're saying with the post-life experience, which is so fascinating. 
Yeah, it is. Because you're not, <laughs> like you said, you're not grading yourself. You're not, but what you're doing is you're saying, okay, you're learning from the experience. It's kind of like saying next time I'll correct it if that experience happens again. Now I know the outcome mm-hmm. of it buried in your soul. You'd already know the outcome of it. So in your next life, maybe you won't make that same choice. It's hard for people to believe sometimes that getting buried by rocks because of an earthquake could have been predetermined, but that is kind of how it is. There's a lesson to be learned there somehow for that soul at that time. Not only that, that soul is almost sacrificing themselves so that somebody else can be a hero, that somebody else will put their own lives aside and help a stranger. It gives people opportunities to be better people when we pick to do something like that. Um, yeah, when you turn it all around, it's really very interesting. Even like, like when I, I, I lost a daughter, she was only two days old, and I was furious with God about that. I, I, I just I had a hard time going to church for a while, but I learned after a year or two, a couple of my other friends lost babies, and I was the only one they could talk to. Because they'd say, everybody says, I know how you feel. And they don't know how I feel. And they give me this really not nice advice, you know, oh, you'll have another child, you know, forget about it. It'll be, you know, but she says, if I talk to you, you really know how I feel. And I can ask you, is this going to get better with time? Or how did you get over it? So things that happen to you make you empathetic so that you can help other people. Yeah, there is that sacrifice there. And I just want to point out that very rarely in my life have I been taken out of reality reading a book to where I actually forget I'm reading a book and the words are being processed by my eyes. I'm literally living in the mental image of the book. But when you talked about your experience with the child, your one that lived for two days, which you later mm-hmm. named Kathleen, that was so powerful and, and really hard to process. I I was taken out of the book. I was in the book and and it was one of the very, it was very emotional. It was one of the few times I, you know, teared up in the book. It's very powerful. And I'm very sorry that you had to deal with that. Well, I was, you know, it was a real challenge, but like I say, I eventually found that to be a blessing uh, because it's, it's, there's been a lot of people I've been able to help with that story. Yeah, for sure. And getting back to, you know, the religious group you were with, as you were ending your relationship with Barry, um, he started talking about getting messages from God, culminating with God <laughs> telling him to move to Guam, which ended up being his mother's <laughs> house, because Guam didn't, he didn't actually go. But do you think <laughs> that Barry's voice that he heard telling him to go to Guam was the same voice that, that true divine voice that we hear, or do you think maybe he did have symptoms of schizophrenia perhaps? He had used LSD in college and he was having flashbacks. And uh, there's a thing that happens with praying too much, especially in, in, a, in this group I was with. If you, uh, it's powerful. It's powerful to be in God's presence like that. And he was starting to, not go just once a week. He was doing this at home by himself. And there's what they call a spiritual breakdown or something that can happen to you. And then you're, you can't take that much in a human psyche 
uh, and not be affected by it. So, so he you had feel a like number his, of things going on. His previous was, LSE experiences, the flashbacks, and also him going to these ritual situations daily put him in a in that place that was too much for his human vehicle to handle. I I can't judge that. That's all I'm just observing. Sure, That's just my in your guess, opinion. My yeah. take. But he 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 yeah, I mean he he quit his job. He would it was just left me with, you know, four kids and uh, and trying to make all of the house payments and everything. It was it was scary. Did you ever uh, try to ask him or tell him hey, do you think that that might not be God? Or do you think that you might be you know, suffering some sort of illness? Or was he just totally turned off at that point? Oh, no, he was he was hearing from God directly then. So okay. what I had to say didn't <laughs> count. <laughs> no, I, I okay. got no point. <laughs> wow. So, so many spiritual things happen in your life. You had so many incredible friendships, relationships, and you been there for so many people including your husband rick who unfortunately died of cancer but hey he, we all know he's in a better place now it's kind of hard to oh, be sad yeah it's like oh you, man he he got the last laugh he's the guy that <laughs> kicked me out of heaven i i owe him one <laughs> so so you know you've had all these experiences but it was a and you gave so much of yourself and your life you talk i, I don't want to tell too much of the book because people out there all over the world, you should definitely get this book. It's available on Amazon. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit at the end, but um, you did have these relationships, influence, help, nurturing, so many good qualities. But then if there was a certain point where you were with a man, his name in the book is Glenn and your health started to fail. Is that correct? Yeah, because I'd been taken care of rick for eight months and day and night and uh i just got so run down he finally passed away and i was just devastated he was he was very special to me and for people uh obviously who haven't read the book yet or people that are coming on that have um she was caretaking her husband her ex-husband actually but still best friend. Ex-fiance. Ex-fiance. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. You guys didn't actually get married. It was a very no. long engagement. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you didn't actually get married. But the thing is, is that you were there for him as, as an ex-partner to take care mm -hmm. of him with his current partner at the time. And you took care of him for the last year of his life, I believe, taking care of pretty much his every daily need until he passed. And what you're saying is that Physically, you were trained, and that also spiritually crushed you. Well, emotionally, emotionally, uh, probably not spiritually. I, I knew, I knew he was in heaven. You know, I just believed that. I just, uh, and by the time he died of leukemia, he was so sick, and he just, you know, he wanted to go. Um, but yeah, I was a mess. And then I did meet somebody else, and my health started to fail. And then I caught this horrible flu that was going around kind of like what we got now. And, and then it, it just, uh, I crashed pretty quick. Um, so then your lung collapsed, right? If I, and then that led that to was, another, that was later. That was when I, after I got to the hospital. Yeah. I, I went to the, um, doc in the box and, uh, they gave me medication, which I was too edulpated to even go get. I just went home and then, uh, thank God my friend, uh, came by and picked me up and took me to the back to the dock in the box where I 
flatlined and then they got me in the ambulance and got me started and got to a hospital and then put me in oxygen and uh and I went to ARDS which is acute respiratory distress syndrome also known as lung failure that's usually what kills people that have COVID or are or SARS or something it just your lungs fill up with fluid and that turns to like solidifies and then your body just shuts down and they were still experimenting on people <laughs> at that time to try and see what would keep them alive. So um, my daughter got online and found a group that, that had survived and they gave her the PEEP numbers and all the pressure numbers and all that to give to my pulmonologist who uh, uh, then managed to, uh, well, she didn't do it. I was sent back, but anyway, yeah, I was gone. So that's uh, a, when you passed, right? When, when you had your near death experiences, when you had, the, when you went to the hospital initially, is that correct? No, I was in the, okay. uh, I was there for about, I think three or four days before they decided to put me in a coma and trach me. And, right. Uh, yes. Okay. So sometime, and then I was, in that coma for almost three weeks. So somewhere in there, uh, I wish my mother remembered because she said that everybody was coming in every day. They take turns. They tell me stories. They would rub my hand. They would rub my feet. They would be there and they talk to me and talk to me. But she says one time when I came back and I could talk again, she says, I got to ask you a question. Did you see Rick? <laughs> I said, Yes, I did. I keep trying to tell you. And she says, I knew it. And I says, what do you mean? She says, you just lay there like a lump, you know, for weeks and, and like just no expression, nothing. You just, no matter what we said or did, but she said, one time I was sitting next to you and all of a sudden she says, I swore your face lit up and you tried to, tried to talk, but you had that ventilator and you tried to talk and and I said, I knew it. I knew that's who it was. And she says, I started shouting, Rick, you can't have her. You send her back. And I thought, oh, mother. Later on, I says, oh, I was I was a pill. Because when I came back, I was still so homesick for heaven. I didn't want to be here. My body was a wreck. It was, it was a nightmare. And she had said, you know, oh, Kathy, we had a prayer group that went around the world and we had people praying day and night. And I says, you know what? If that ever happens to me again, I, I don't you dare save me. <laughs> and she says, honey, don't worry. We won't. <laughs> I was such an ingrate about the whole thing. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you <laughs> off there, but that's what the word expat means for people that don't know. It means you're short for expatriate and it's a person that is outside of their home. They feel like they're out. They live outside of their home country, you could say. So, and they work, they work in another country. Right. And then when they're through with their work, they get to go home. <laughs> so we all start in heaven. We come down here, do our work, and then we get to go home. But before you met Rick up in heaven, you didn't really have that good of an experience because in the book, you talk about how 80% of the people have positive near-death experiences, but there's a 20% that have negative near-death experience. We don't really know the numbers because they don't talk. Right. You know? <laughs> Could be a lot more, but, uh, but yeah. you started off negative. So let's talk about that a little bit. You, you feel like you went to hell. You feel like you went to a self-created hell. 
maybe not the hell that mm -hmm. the fire and brimstone hell that you talk about in uh, religion, where there's you know a red demon with a pitchfork and and all of that. But you went to your own kind of self-created hell. There's so much I want to ask you about that. But can you just touch on some of the highlights of that story and tell our listeners about that? Well, the thing is, <laughs> they put me in this coma and they gave me something they said was white amnesia and said I would not be able to remember anything that happens because they're going to be poking you and sticking things in you and stuff. So you'll just, it'll be a blank. You won't remember a thing. So all I know is I was really sick. I didn't hear all that. But I, all of a sudden, I was conscious of being in awake and it was totally dark. And I had no idea how I got there. I had no idea where I was. I didn't know if I was standing on something and it was dark. And I thought, well, I'm afraid to move. So I'll, I'll just kind of hang out. I, I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden it just kind of got filmy and, and foggy and kind of reddish glow thing going on. And uh, I'm like going, uh-oh. And then, then I start hearing like screams and, uh, uh, it, it smells really bad and it's hot. And I thought, what in the hell <laughs> I got myself into? But then all of a sudden, this horrible voice, kind of like from a Bella Lugosi movie, it comes out with, you know where you are? And I, my hair stood up. If I, yeah, I, I said, uh, hell. And he just got this terrible laugh, this horrible laugh. And it scared me so bad. I just took off into the darkness. I just started running and uh, I had no idea I was dead. I thought I was just dropped into some weird, I wasn't in Kansas anymore. Let's put it that way. And I just took off running. And the first scene that I saw was like this bombed out huge city, smoke and fires, left concrete all tipped over. And I just tried to hide. I didn't know where I was. I knew I was in terrible danger. And I I saw per, I, what I thought was a person in the fog over there. And I just yelled, hey, you know, um, why don't we get together and we'll have, you know, maybe, you know, you go get sticks. I'll go get water. And and he just said in this kind of haunting voice, we are all alone here. And I thought, oh, great. So it was it was a terrible terrible time uh you, know, you look like you want to say something no no i i'm just kind of engrossed in what you're saying i <laughs> i uh it, it's so powerful i mean you you went to this place you interacted with these darker beings but it wasn't like we said the classical hell experience but you also interacted well, with you, people you can't that say were, what classical is yeah, but you, I thought it was interesting that you interacted with people that were still alive in, in this current life. Yeah. Or at that time, we should say. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I went from that place to another place with the blackberries, complete, as far as you can see, it was blackberries, and this demon, and I'll, uh, there was no other word for this thing. It was demon was uh, giving me a bad time, and, and I was, you know, he said, uh, you can never get out just despair. And I said, I don't know where I am, but I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to stay here. And he says, well, I'll give you one chance. And I says, what's that? And he says, well, if you can cut down all these blackberry bushes, uh, you can get out. And then in my hand, I felt something and I looked down and it was those scissors they give to kidney garden kids, you know, to cut paper. And, and he starts laughing, that horrible laugh thing. 
And I thought, you creep. So I, I just knelt down and I started cutting. I thought, I'm getting out of here. And as I cut, I, I finally got through one of the berry bushes and I started to turn and all the bit, they were sticking in me and I was uh, bleeding and everything. And it grew back. And, and he's the, this demon thing starts laughing, like, you know, you're not going to get out of here. And, and I just said, I, I'm not going to despair. And then I found myself in another place. And that was the place where I saw my friend that, that I knew here on earth and her two friends. And I thought, what in the heck is going on now? But it was like a movie set and it was a beauty parlor. And Somebody told me, you weren't in hell. You made this all up. I said, how can you make this stuff up? I said, I was there and she start, She was the person that was always uh, very concerned with how you looked from the outside, you know, and she didn't worry too much about what went on on the inside. Not a very pleasant person. So she was trying to tell me, first of all, she says, you look terrible. And I says, well, it's been a long day. All right. <laughs> I had the berry bushes and, and the bombs and everything. And she says, well, you know, she was put me in the chair and she's going to doll me up. And then uh, her friends made some remarks, you know, probably that it wasn't going to be possible or would take all day or something. So I just got up and left. I thought, well, this isn't helping anything. So I, it, it, there became this long road that seemed to be between um, sequences and it was dark. It was scary. It was uh, no light. Uh, you could barely see anything. Uh, there was rocks on the road. You had to be careful not to trip. I had to keep looking down and I'd look around to make sure something wasn't creeping up on me. And then I would come to a, I would, I came to another, all of a sudden I was at another place. And then it was this horrible abortion clinic thing. And uh, I was told I had a job. This could be my job. You're going to be, this is your job now. And this bit, another big demon thing with a big, huge rod. And I had to uh, go into this abortion place and take the poor little cop chopped up babies and put it in this he says put them in that room over there and it was you know, like you if you went into a costco and it was empty it was about the size of that i couldn't see the walls and and piles and piles of these poor little babies and and i came back out in the hall and i said i'm not going to do that and he says well yes you are and i said no i'm not so boom i found myself in another place and usually it was worse than the one before and this just went on and on uh, i was starting to kind of get tired and I, I wasn't feeling quite as strong as, I, as it was. And I thought, well, I'm going to keep going as long as I can. And um, then I had a really terrible run in when I ran into the, the village. That was the worst part probably there um, with a zombie AIDS ridden zombie. Right. People. God, that was a horrible God. part of the story. Oh, <laughs> Just the whole really thing was awful. intense. It was Oh, I was so scared and I was trying to keep my eyes down so they wouldn't, you know, I was just want to get through town. Well, they found me and attacked me. And, and then, and I had to go with this other group of people because now even for hell's uh, status, I was ruined. And uh, well, anyway, I, you know, got to the last place and I didn't know it was going to be the last place and um, irritated one more demon and she came at me and uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, because I almost said the wrong word in hell. And uh, they, the next thing I know, I was in, in this bright place and I was, oh, you know, just like a bicycle pump, pump me up with joy and love and 
feeling great. I could remember nothing uh, about what happened before. I was just, I was just ecstatically happy and looked over and there's, you know, my, my friend who had died a month before and uh, he looked great. And I thought, wow, last time I saw him, you know, he had leukemia. It was awful. Right. Thing. And now he looked like, wow, he looked like he was about 35 and he was in great health. And, and, um, and I thought, gosh, he doesn't know he's dead. You know? Yeah. This was and, Rick, right? <laughs> yeah. And he just started laughing, did this little dance he always used to do when he was chuckling over a, a joke. He was, you know, and I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> he, he's dead, then I must be dead. And that's the first time I really realized that I was dead because your, your spirit is always alive. It's just, I left my body, my car back in the hospital. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I feel. I feel like my body is just like my car. Sure. We always Helps talk about that around. on the podcast. Yeah. And so uh, he said, now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And I thought, what? <laughs> what? That That is just, that's not right. I said, no, uh-uh, no. And uh, he just kind of chuckled and zoom back. I came and I had to, I got to go down. They usually have a little in-between place where you can kind of cool your chest before they s- slam you back in your body. And um I got, and there somebody told me I had to tell Glenn that we had to be together. So um, I came back and opened my eyes and, oh my gosh, I couldn't grasp it. I mean, it's like finding yourself on Venus and then you're on Mars. It's, and I, I was so confused and my, my, I, I can see these people and I'm guessing, I think, I think I know these people and it was my mom and dad and my daughter and son-in-law and and they're all yippy and jumping up and down and I'm thinking who are these people and I was I didn't know it but I couldn't move I'd lost all my muscle mass I was 86 pounds and so all I could do was blink and move one finger and the rest of me felt like I was tied up or something because I couldn't move and I was oh it was it was awful they were happy and I was so mad <laughs> because you were in that place <laughs> and you got sent back I mean, I mean, and you're yeah, back in the this, third dimension. Yes. You know, and, and with left with too much left to do. And I got one finger that works. Come on. What kind of <laughs> joke is well, that? Now that we have discussed or kind of showed our audience yeah. that that experience happened to you, there's a couple things I want to ask you about that experience because I could not help but notice the striking similarity between what you experienced and what they talk about in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, ah. which talks about the various bardos, and the bardos mm-hmm. are the different levels of, that you go to. It's an intermediary experience between final, you know, crossing over and the earthly mm-hmm. plane. And in mm-hmm. the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it talks about these bardos, and you go to these different layers, and every time you go to a different layer, some other landscape some other scenario happens until Hmm. you go to your final resting place an american Uh version was done called the psychedelic experience with you know ram das and tim leary in the 60s they tried to mimic Mm -hmm. the experience but i couldn't help but notice the striking similarities between what you experience and what they talk about in the buddhist uh tibetan book of the dead which is so fascinating well, people must have experienced that or they wouldn't have it. Exactly. It's been around for thousands, thousands of years. And, and mm-hmm. here you are having your version, but it was almost like a personalized version because the experiences yeah. you felt reflected things that you had experienced in your life 
and you created it. That's something you talked about later in the book that you felt yeah, like it was a yeah. self-created experience. Can you expand right. on that a little bit? Yeah. First I'll say that later on, I read a lot of books about this and the consensus from people that have done a lot of studies is that it's very, it's kind of parallel to the ancient Greek myths of, you know, the people that went down into the, into Hades and down into the underworld and, right. and, uh, River sticks. The heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, uh, get the, the damsel in distress or whatever, but they come back up to light and they share their experience and that they're really very brave people. And so anybody out there who's had a, a near death experience that has been distressing or dark or whatever, you didn't have that because you're a bad person. You had that because you were a brave person and you have, I, that's the way I choose to look at it. Right. And uh, you have a message to bring back and, and then you're going to have to share it. But um, I got sidetracked. What were you talking no, about? No, no, we were talking about just the <laughs> Tibetan Book of the Dead and how there was various cultures and had similar experiences. You know, you were talking about, uh, I was talking about the Tibetan Book of the Dead and okay. you were referencing the Greek, the ancient oh, Greek. Oh, and then you said, how did it become uh, self-made? Yeah, 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 that's, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's very interesting because that didn't dawn on me till quite a bit later. And then it took all the years of being with 10 years, probably 11 years with IONS and the seminars and all those people who have had similar experiences. And um, it just took a, a real load off of me. And then I could, I could start to think about, okay, why did that happen? And what were those experiences about? Um, I believe that being a Catholic I was brought up with the idea of purgatory and that if you commit a sin, you're going to pay for being so many days in purgatory for this. And then if you say a rosary, you get a credit of 500 days for that. And your whole life is kind of this big math problem. And um, at first I thought, well, I just kind of got too many negatives in that column and not enough in the other. But I believe I went there because I thought I would. I bought it. I bought the um, teaching that I was going, I couldn't straight shot it to heaven unless I was Mother Teresa. So I was going to have to go spend time in purgatory one way or the other. Um, and I lived my life like that. I accepted that premise. Um, and so I chose to go to hell, purgatory, whatever you want to call it, because I expected to. Um, so I, my message is you don't have to go to hell. Nobody's going to make you go to hell but you. God does not judge people. Uh, he does not condemn people. God Infinite is all love. love. All love. There's <laughs> nothing but love. <laughs> you got it, baby. Uh, uh, it's just love, and he cannot. It's, a, it's against God's nature to condemn or not forgive people. So don't buy that. Stop it and quit teaching the children that. That's just awful. Right. I think it's because perhaps I talked with the different guests about this. Perhaps in prehistory, we needed those boundaries because we were so out of control that we needed some sort of scare tactic in order <laughs> to rein us in at that period and thousands of years ago. But we're evolved. We're more civilized. We don't necessarily need that anymore because any spiritual teaching 
It really doesn't matter because at the core of all the religious teachings is that the divine God is infinite love. And so these hell experiences, they don't sync up with infinite love. They're not, they're not compatible. So, so it's self-created yourself. You're judging yourself. So if you feel like you need to go to hell, it's because you think you need to go to hell as Kathy's saying. But like, I, I noticed that you talked about in your book that your sister who was a very just kind of mainstream Christian believed that she was going straight to heaven, straight shot. There's no, and, and she had such a firm conviction that she was going there and you felt that. And that made you change your perspective a little bit. Yeah. I, I questioned her that for about that for a long time, but uh, she's right. Uh, if she believes she's going straight to Jesus's arms, she is because that's what she's choosing to do. And I'm choosing to do that myself this time. Um, there's no reason I have to go back. There. It doesn't sound I mean, so bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no. I mean, heaven is wonderful. You want to be there and you're going to be there. Um, in spite of yourself, you know, uh, you know, that, that that's the thing that kind of bothers me about organized religion. And, and I've had trouble, you know, coming back and, and that, I, I, it changed me. It changed me. Um, no, we, we, we've got to quit telling people that God doesn't forgive them. It's like the best story in the Bible, I think, is the prodigal son. And that just rings with everybody. You're not going to take your child and, and uh, not forgive them, no matter what. I mean, I've got some family I haven't talked to in many years. And if they showed up tomorrow, I'd give them nothing but a big hug. The rest of it's forgotten. And I think God's like that too. Yeah, though there's a great teacher. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist teacher. He talks about how at birth you are just the Christ consciousness. You're the naked consciousness. But then circumstances and events that happen in your life lead you to be what some people could be perceived as evil. But you don't know, we don't know personally what the circumstances or events were that led the person to make those choices to be that way. And what he was pointing out is that the divine God just kind of sees us all as that original baby, that original Christ consciousness baby before all the events, because our story is part of the divine plan. So that's how, from his perspective, we couldn't go to a hell type scenario. Well, that's, you know, I'll agree to disagree <laughs> on uh, God's will, God's plan. I think it's God's will is that we have free will and that we pick our lives and, and go down and live them. And somebody said to me, well, what about somebody like Hitler? You know, I mean, he, he should go to hell. And I thought, well, if you were Hitler and you had a life review that lets you experience every bit of pain that you caused another human being, wouldn't that be your hell? I mean, he, there are people that choose <clears throat> to come down again and do weird things so that other people can do the opposite. They can be people who save the Jewish people, the ones that, fought him. I don't know. It's too big for a human it's brain really outside to really of our, compass, yeah. <laughs> but we can't, I don't think we can, I know there's evil, but there's evil because if we all came down perfect beings, what's the point? 
Right. You know, uh, you've got to have the yin and the yang, uh, the light and the dark. You've got to have the evil and the good. And evil maybe a challenge, I like to say, uh, a dark challenge. But uh, it's all going to be fine. Uh, all we got to do is just live our lives being loving, kind. This is what I was told. Right. Loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. And if you can just remember loving and kind, that's all you got to do. You know, I just want to touch on one more thing about your uh, NDE, uh, the negative aspect of it. You interacted, like we said earlier, with people that were still alive at that time. And then later on, you connected with at least one of those people. Actually, no, I believe you did connect with both of the people and yeah. shared your experience. And they, one of them specifically verified all of the symbolism that you experienced and how it pertained to her life, which was happening outside of your life and outside of your family's life. How is that possible? And what do you think the purpose of that is? Well, I, I just came back and said, <laughs> I, how do you tell somebody I, you saw them in hell? That's not a real good <laughs> opening line. <laughs> you get their attention, but I mean, uh, I just said, I, I, I have a message. I just, I need to tell you this, that what you're doing now, you're, you're involved with this person and it's going to cause this and this and this in your life. And I've just, you do with it what you want to, all I got to do is give you the message. And so years later, uh, that relationship deteriorated terribly and, uh, she came back to me oh gosh, maybe three or four years ago. And then it was like 15 years after I told her. And she says, tell me that again. Tell me that message again. And so we sat there and she says, oh my gosh, that that's amazing. Uh, you're absolutely right. And that's what happened. And I, she, she was trying to break with this person and she did break with that person. And now she's got her life back and found somebody wonderful. And the other person, not so much. I just thought that was so interesting that somehow information came out of somewhere, came from somewhere and into your experience to help you guide those people once you came back. The whole thing was outside of time, outside of yeah. space, including all these people that were alive, people that were deceased. It's really, really a powerful experience. But after you came back, you, you felt like, man, it's time to get back to heaven, but you knew you had more work to do, but you had a really long recovery process. How long was your recovery process total? Uh, two months. Okay. Um, well, the recovery after I got out of the coma, they, um, I couldn't move or anything. And, and they, uh, it was terrible. I had to get x-rays twice a day and I couldn't even get up on the table and I, I was all bones. So everything hurt and, uh, they had to tie me into a, wheelchair and try and teach my muscles how to uh, be strong again in my back. And they, they just all cramp up. And uh, I had to learn how to, oh gosh, everything. I had to learn how to crawl, uh, walk, uh, button, uh, everything. I was like a baby. I, I couldn't eat. Uh, uh, it was It was really depressing. And so for all those people out there that have had COVID and they've been in ventilators for three weeks well most of them oh my heart just goes out to you it's uh, hang in there um you will get your life back and um if you've had some sort of 
strange experience when you were in your coma, please contact IONS. You'll get some help. I'm going to be um, uh, facilitating a, a sharing experience coming up pretty soon on IONS, and I'm going to re request that people who've had dark near-death experiences join. It'll be a nice safe space. Yeah, I thought about applying to do experience. a presentation there as well. I'm, I had never heard cool. of IONS before, and, and after your book, I'm totally captivated by it and and i live in portland oregon so it's not that yeah. hard for me to get up yeah. there and make it happen who knows we might be meeting in person sooner oh, yeah. than later <laughs> yeah the, the yearly conferences are outrageous you've got all those dead people it's such energy <laughs> that's what we do we call all those dead people man it, 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 there is so much energy there i mean of happiness we're just so happy and we know we're going home soon and the funny thing that happens there because of all this energy is we have a heck of a time getting the uh, <clears throat> speakers to work, the, the video equipment doesn't work, the lights go out, and it's just a joke. People just just laugh and say, well, yeah, it's just There's just so happens. much energy around, so much ethereal energy, spiritual energy, yeah. all that energy that attaches to you when you have those experiences. I want to ask you, are you aware, are you aware that when you're born and when you die, your body releases a chemical called DMT, which is an incredibly powerful psychedelic drug. Hmm. Do you know no, about I that? I did not know that. Okay, nope. so when you dream, there, there's a, it's this drug, it's called dimethyltryptamine. It's incredibly powerful psychedelic, unlike a drug like you were talking about earlier, LSD, which would last maybe 12 hours, depending on the dosage. This lasts about 15 minutes and people have consistent experiences that mimic near-death experiences when they take it in synthesized forms. And they talk about ah. some of the uh, similar experiences you've had. But it's mm -hmm. really interesting to think that when you have these near-death experiences that or when, that the, the DMT in your brain actually activates and seems to open a portal. I'm surprised you haven't heard that before. I've heard about people wanting to experiment with that more. I, I would question that that happens uh, to open a portal in your brain when you are unable to use your brain. Uh, the brain is not active in a coma. Uh, not for you. No, but not for you. But something, <laughs> something must have happened to pull your spirit out of your body. Maybe not in your case, but I thought it was so interesting that that happens. Well, well I think... That kind of makes me think about the thing about um, the theory that when you are say you're going to get hit by a car and die, that that something happens and it, you step outside that your body before it hits the death actually occurs. So a lot of times when people, um, oh, I don't know, they're being attacked by a bear or something, supposedly their spirit can just step out and say, <laughs> yeah, count me out. And the bear will eat that person, but they don't feel any pain when they die. That's maybe something similar. The human experience, we know so little of it at the end of the day. What we've mm -hmm. been taught, there is shreds of information. There is real valid spiritual information that's come through the ages. But humans, for the most part, are, are pretty much flying blind in this dimension. We're just kind of feeling mm -hmm. our way around, being guided mm -hmm. by God, spirit, and guardian angels and friends and family. It's a really, really interesting experience. But after mm -hmm. you recovered, you found yourself in experiences where you were helping people. 
and, and being a spiritual anchor for people. Can you talk about some of those experiences? I think it came from being in the hospital and, and being looking like a living skeleton and being moved around in the wheelchair. Uh, one time I was waiting for the orderly to come get me and this poor little girl was hanging onto her mom's leg while she was signing in and the little girl um, was just staring at me. She must've been about two. And so I tried to smile at her, but it was it must have come out as a grimace and she starts shrieking and the mother turned and looked at the little girl and then looked at me. And then she says, it's not polite to stare to her little girl. She didn't apologize to me or say anything to me. I was invisible. And I, if I was being wheeled through the, the, um, the halls and stuff, people would avert their eyes. And I felt that sting of being invisible. So when I got out, there was just this thing about being aware of people that were invisible and like walking through Seattle, you know, there's people and sitting there on the sidewalk, the homeless. And I would try and make eye contact just to make eye contact and say maybe hi to somebody or um, something, respond if they said something to me and the shock on their face of, Oh my God, somebody saw me, particularly people in wheelchairs and sitting in the doctor's office, just start a conversation. I found that to be very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, you open up your humanity to these other humans who are suffering in a similar way, but even more so than what you suffered because you're, you were able by the grace of God to recover fully, right? You pretty much could recover fully. I got a pretty trashed lung. <laughs> yeah, but you're uh, still here with us in 2021. Well, I I know, and it was a hard road, <laughs> uh, but it was at my time. You know, I, I agreed to, to do all the things that I have done. And uh, that's just it. When I get done with it, I get to go home well, like everybody else. And, you know, you connect with those loving people that need that love and you're giving them that love because that's what we're here to do. We're here to raise the vibration of humanity. I feel like we can activate even with the good and the bad in the world, we can raise the vibration, the humans, how we activate ourselves, how we treat each other to such a place to maybe have evil defined as something far less than what it is now. Like we may still yeah, have I, that I balance. agree. I think again, with the COVID people, I think there's probably been at least, you know, they've what a hundred thousand, 400,000 people and, uh, ventilators. Uh, it's just been kind of discussed around in, in our IONS community that uh, with this influx of people that may have had positive near-death experiences, that uh, more and more and more and more people not only having them, but talking about them is in effect changing the way humanity Wow, there's is just <laughs> so much change happening right now. Yeah, there, I mean, what are some of the, as a spiritual person, because I feel like you're incredibly powerful, spiritual, intuitive person, not only based on your experiences, just based on your presence. Like what are the things, some of the things that you're feeling about where we're going as humans? Like what, what is it leading to? I, I'm, I'm hopeful that every one of us, if we, if every person in this world turned around tomorrow and was loving and kind intentionally, uh, even 50% of the time, what a, what a tremendous difference the world would make. Uh, the, the, um, I've really kind of got a thing for the homeless. Uh, uh, there's a, a fella that just put out a documentary. He's not putting it out there as much as I would like to see, but it's the invisible class. And it was fabulous. And 
I think homeless people are, are people that, again, chose to come down here to give us a chance to be charitable. So let's take advantage of that. Let's, let's, uh, let's um, validate their sacrifice and uh, actually do something about it. Yes, give back to our fellow humans. You know, we just did an episode where we talked about the 11th commandment. Not many people Ooh. know that Jesus actually gave out an 11th commandment in the Bible, which is love each other. It's so easy. And if we yeah. all did that, if like you said, the message that you got from Jesus in your book to be loving and kind, if we all did that, man, what an incredible planet we would have. And yeah. we, we do talk about extraterrestrial life and aliens on this podcast and so many mm -hmm. other things. And I did notice <laughs> that in chapter 95, you were talking about your voice and how the voice told you that spirits have work to do on earth and other planets to learn the lessons. So how do you juxtapose that with your Catholic experience and your other experience? Do you feel like there's, is there, is the universe just teeming with life out there? Well, that's what I, that's what I've been told. I mean, from people who have been there in, in IONS meetings uh, that, that, yeah, that, that we get to come back. And uh, I've been told that, that souls, once you get to heaven, I'll make it simple. You get a little brownie badge for where you were <laughs> and, and, and anybody, anybody wearing an earth badge is automatically a hero. That is the toughest place to be. Now, if you want to go somewhere else and learn other things, you can. So, and then, and I love this one. There's supposed to be a thing where you can have a vacation life. One, if you've had a couple of really hard tours of duty, you can choose to have a vacation life. So you go down and you're one of these people under the radar. You just, you never have too little, you never have too much. And I don't know how many of those you get, but I may want to get in line for one of those. <laughs> I think we all need a break after this <laughs> century. After, after 2020, anybody who's brave enough to come down in 2020, <laughs> we should get some sort of oh, award. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's just been so amazing talking with you. You are such well, an incredible man. woman, and you have such an incredible <laughs> story. I want to talk to you for hours and hours and hours. We'll, <laughs> we'll have you back on the show at some point, and we'll talk about these things more. But I just okay. want to touch on a few more things. There was a time when, because angels, I, I just, angels kept coming up in the book over and over and over. Herbert, the angels. And then there was a time where you met a random person who you named Tex. I believe in an airplane. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. And, and yeah, just, that was the first time I ever, ever felt like I was, I got to take something off my list of too much things to do. Uh, it was an earthquake and I was on my way to the airport. And by the time I got there, uh, they, they had, had blown out the um, those towers so that they'd grounded all the air, airport uh, airplanes and the airport had no power, no nothing. It was awful. And, and we dropped off our bags and it was a nightmare. I was there for like, I don't know, six hours. But I, I had brought myself some lunch, but I didn't bring any water. So I went to buy some water and it was all out. So I went, uh, I saw the bar around the corner and I thought, well, I can probably get a glass of water or beer in there. This is going to be a long day. And it was just packed front to front to back. And I was looking around at my suitcases and there's, there was a empty seat and I thought, oh, thank God. So I bumping my way through the, the crowd and uh, this, <laughs> The fella sitting next to me had, oh, he was probably six feet tall and weighed 120 pounds. He had his old ratty, big old cowboy hat on and boots and stuff. And he was kind of 
hunkered over his, his beer. And I thought, hmm, I says, excuse me, sir, are you saving this spot? And he kind of looked up at me and I got, whoo, I can smell his breath. And he says, I'm just saving it for you, darling. And I thought, oh, great. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm grabbing this seat. I don't care. You know, I, I, oh, whatever. It was my birthday. I was, it was awful. And so, um, anyway, he just looked so down and out and, and, uh, the guy, the bartender says, all right, we're running out of beer. And, and I had been trying to catch his eye, but he was running back and forth. And so old Tex, I called him, uh, yelled out, Hey, I need two beers here for myself and two for my honey, you know? And I thought, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Here we go. I, maybe if I drink one of these beers, he'll look better, but not really. I mean, I I was kind of, I was kind of frazzled, you know? And I thought, I just don't want to be talking to somebody right now. So anyway, I thought, oh, he just bought me two beers. I better say something. So I, I just said, hi, how are you doing? He says, fine. He says, what's a nice girl like you doing in a city like this? And I said, I could ask you the same thing. And he says, well, I got my flight got bumped on my way back to Texas. And I says, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was going down to California and I'm stuck here. And, and he was just, it was just this emanation of despair coming off this person. And I found that since I've come back, I can kind of read uh, emotions better. It's it's uh, kind of a weird thing. But anyway, he was just not in a good space. So I said, so um, what's going on? And he says, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. And, and I said, fine. And, and we got chit-chatting. And then all of a sudden, he opens up and says, uh, I don't know, I something about wanting to die or something. And I, I said, no, you don't want to do that. I says, it's a beautiful place. I just got back. I got, you know, still got stickers on my luggage here. And it was wonderful. I says, heaven is this a wonderful place. And he says, well, my wife died. And I said, well, she's there. She's happy. She's having a good time. And he says, she goes, she's mad at me. And I says, how could she be mad at you? And he says, well, and, and by then he got a couple more beers in him. And he says, uh, I, I, uh, I was at work and, um, I got a phone call and the foreman said it was my wife and, uh, and, uh, I'm not supposed to take calls at work. And so I came, I came to the phone and I just said, honey, you're just going to have to wait. I'm at work. And I hung up the phone and he says, I got home and she'd had a heart attack and she was dead on the floor. And I says, Oh my God. God, that's a terrible story. I says, you must feel terrible. He says, he says, I can't go on. I can't go on. I, I, I've, I've made up my mind. I just can't go on. And I says, no, you don't. She's forgiven you. Believe me. And he says, I don't know how you can say that. So I, I went into the story again and how she'd forgiven him. And she's probably standing right there between us. And she's got her arm around you. She, she loves you. It was just her time. And, and she's forgiven you. I promise. So I says, well, I looked at my clock. I says, I'm going to try and go find my luggage. And I stood up and he says, you're an angel, ain't you? And I said, excuse me? And he says, I've seen that, that movie, uh, Touched by an Angel. You're an angel. And so I, that was the one that my uncle used to you know, watch. And sure. I thought, I, I just kind of chuckled. And I, I started to stand up. And now he's standing up and he's pointing at me as I'm walking through the crowd and saying, this gal's an angel. She really is a really angel. People are starting to turn around and I'm scooting out of there as fast as I could. But I thought, oh my gosh, that's what they mean that I had too much left to do. It's just little things 
just yeah. being nice. I thought that story you know? was so profound because oh. what I wanted to ask you is based on that story is in that moment, were you an angel? Were you almost like hosting yep. a spirit because of the message that you were delivering to him? Well, angels are messengers from God. So yeah, I, the spirit, we're all one. So the spirit just kind of flowed through me and said, you know, this is one of your guys. And uh, yeah, it was wonderful. I felt great. I finally felt like I had a purpose. Finally felt like there was a reason I was back. Yeah, after all the long life story that you had, the incredible negative near-death experience that you recovered from, everything that you did to come back to where you're at now, you were able to do that work, what you were sent back for. You still have work to do, as was said. Lots of it. Lots of it. And it's in little tiny things. It's like I say, being nice to people, uh, kind to people, especially people who are, are down and out. It's just going out of your way. Well, I feel like there will be a time when humanity will have reached that plateau where we won't have to suffer in that way. I mean, we're, we're never going to get away from suffering, but we may not have the level of conflict that we have yeah. currently. We might be more yeah. evolved. Kind of like, I, I guess you could say like a Star Trek type scenario where, <laughs> you know, we're together, united, realizing our genuine love with for each other and also having the divine being deeply incorporated in the entire thing. Exactly. Yeah. I appreciate you being on the podcast so much. This has been amazing, oh, thanks, emotional, thanks. and this is part of the work that you have to do. This podcast, you being on the podcast yeah. is just one more thing. Maybe not as cool as the text story. Maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, I want you to leave something for our audience, something that they need some advice that's going to help them not only get through this time in history, the COVID times, but also help them develop themselves more spiritually. Is there something you can give to our audience in that way? I'm not the Pope. Uh, actually, <laughs> I think, I think if people can just realize that this is really a play and we've all chosen the roles we're going to play in the play and if we can just go about without the angst and worry uh, that we do, because it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be right at the end. All we have to do is do our lines, show up, and um, trust, trust each other and trust God. Do you feel like after we go to the other side that we'll look back on our experience here as almost like uh, an illusion. Like it was almost not even real because the other place is so much more real. No, I think, I think we've got a, uh, um, a soul group. That's what I'm told. And it's, it's a lot of people that you, you hang with in heaven. Now that's all I can say. And that you choose to come down, you know, time after time, whether it's Mars or, or some other planet or here. And I like to make, fun of not fun of it. I like to make it fun for myself because I'm a positive person. And we come down this time, you're, you know, I'm, I'm a, we know each other, obviously, you and I, you know each other, otherwise, we would not have clicked here on this earth. So we planned this a long time ago, when I was this age, and you were this age, I'd show up on your show. But that happens with everybody in your life. And so at the end of life, 
I think we all go back up in various times and all of that stuff. And we're going to sit around and say, wow, that, that was really fun when we did that. Or next time we go down, I'm going to be your sister that I'm going to teach you a lesson. And just, it's a fun experience of learning over and over. And we're, we're just enveloped in God's love. And we're, we're just, we're so fortunate, but we need to see that now, how fortunate we are. And, um, and enjoy the ride. I know it sucks sometimes. It sucks terribly. But if we can see that as something we chose, something that we're going to learn from, something that will give other people a chance to help us, uh, and that it's short. I don't care if you live to be 100. When you get to eternity, this is a blink. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Well, it seems like as we get older, it feels like it's just kind of like a like a blink anyway, the years are going by like, <laughs> like weeks and it, I know it feels I that know. way while we're here, but yeah, I totally understand <laughs> what you mean. And before we let you go, I just want to tell everyone about your book and I want everyone out there to go get it. It is misfit in hell to heaven expat, an incredible book. It's on Amazon. That's where I purchased it. I highly recommend you purchase it. And of course, you can go to that website, misfitinhelltoheavenexpat.com. Go there. You'll learn everything about it. And of course, we're going to have you back on and we'll talk about this more. Thank you so much, Kathy, for being on the show. Hold on the line through the outro music and we'll talk a little bit more. Everybody, we'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth, y'all.